We have talked for a couple weeks now, uh, first about what it looks like to be fruitful, second about what it looks like to have rewards. And I want to tell you that you all are, as much as I have seen, a church where there's a lot of fruitfulness and there's a lot of rewards. I see very few believers. I don't think you'd, this is not the best church to come to if you're going to be burying your talent in the ground. Um, and so I think that most people who come here and who stay here are very serious about serving the Lord. And I just want to let you know um, that while, you know, we talk about both the warning of not being fruitful and not having rewards, I also want to tell you about the glory and the joy of having those things. I know we've talked about that, but I want you to know that. And I want you to know that you, if you will just serve the Lord, be here, be in your life group, serving, giving, doing those things, those are things the Lord loves. Those are things that he loves, that he honors, that you will hear well done for. And so be faithful, be faithful. Let's pray as we get started this morning. Father, I just ask that you'd open your word up to us, that we would know you more. We're in this controversy series talking about some things that are difficult, some things that are uh, complicated, but also just some things that are misunderstood. And we just ask that you be with us as we walk through your word today. Holy Spirit, give me strength. Give our people strength, my brothers and sisters, in their hearts to focus as we walk through the word. Give them true supernatural wisdom as we go through the Bible, as we teach, as we study. In your name, amen. So I ride motorcycles. Some of you know that. Uh, one motorcycle that I ride uh, that I have is called the Kawasaki ZH2SE. If that sounds fancy, it is. It's fast. It's really, really, really fast. It's got a supercharged 200 horsepower motor. And some of you are like, my Honda Accord has 200 horsepower. Yeah, but your Honda Accord weighs 6,000 pounds. This thing weighs 500 pounds. And so it's really, really fast, like faster than Ferraris type fast. Um, so when I ride this bike, I have to trust the engineers who designed it. Because if they messed up, I could be injured very quickly. Because this bike accelerates so quickly, it slapped, I mean, it just slaps you back. Like all this fat is like way behind you. It's... <laughs> I've got a six pack and there's like just stuff flowing. Like it's my shirt, it's my shirt. It's fine, I don't usually wear a shirt when I run. No, I'm kidding, I don't. don't start thinking about that. You will not get back on track. I don't do that. When I, when I ride this bike, I gotta trust the engineers, right? Because they made it. So when they say use this kind of gas, inflate the tires between this and this pressure, change the oil, inspect the chain drive, do those kind of things. I do those things usually because it's important to do the things they say because if you don't, bad things will happen. It's pretty simple. They designed it so they know the way to use it properly, right? They designed it so they know how to use it properly. We all understand this. We get it. Anyone who has thrown an expensive wool sweater into the dryer and had that thing come out child size knows you should be reading the labels of the person who designed the thing that you're using, right? You gotta follow the rules if you want things to work the way they were designed to work. We learn these things as we grow up. Change your oil on time. Don't swim with your not waterproof cell phone in your pocket. That's one to learn. Most of them are waterproof now, probably for that reason. Doubling the temperature on the recipe will not cook your pizza twice as fast. It's not the way it works, just follow the recipe, okay? It doesn't work that way. Hammers don't work on screws very well at all. 
You ought not to start the dryer while the cat is still in there. <laughs> These are things we learn as we go, right? That did not happen. I did not do that, as far as you know. Anyway, no, that's terrible. We love our little kitties. But we get it, right? Use the things the way the people who designed them intended them to be used, and the things will work well, and they'll last longer. Easy. Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. But we don't do that with the most important design we are responsible for, ourselves. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay. We've got a, a, a verse here from the designer about the design. Right? This is, this is who we are, and this is who God made us. Let's flip this up onto the screen, my iPad here, if it works. Yes, we did it this time. Sweet. All right. So... Let's walk through this verse really quick because I want you to understand a few things. Then God, right, that's a singular word. I just want to make sure that we understand that. Said, let us, and that's not a singular word. Right? Oh, you can't see it? Hey, there it is. He did it. He's smart. God, singular. We're with me now? Let us, us. That's not singular, right? That's more than one. So we got to understand something here. we got God and us. That means that God is one, but he's more than one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? So God is one God, three persons, and we have that right here. And then he said, what does he say? Let us make man, this is man and woman, okay, in our image, according to our likeness. So, what is, it, what is that saying? First thing it's saying is that you're going to be made like he's made. He's three in one, and you know what? So are you. Your body, soul, spirit. Your body, soul, spirit. You're not just one thing. You're not just your body walking around. That's what the materialists will tell you. You're just a body, right? You're not just a soul floating around in space, okay? That's what the matrix people will tell you or something. I don't know. There's not, you're in a, what do they call simulation? And something like that. Give me a break. Okay? You're not just spirit, you're not just soul, you're not just body, you're all three things. God is also three persons. So he's made you in his image, he's made you like him. You can connect with the idea that's there because God has made you in his image, which means that one of the things you're going to have to think about if you want to follow the design is that you've got to care for and understand your body, your soul, and your spirit together. If you don't understand the role of your soul to suppress the fallen body and to sow to the spirit so that you're living in the spirit, you're not going to understand how to live. So the first thing you've got to understand is who's the manufacturer and how did he make you? Who's the designer? Who's the engineer? It's God. He made you in his own image. The other thing here is it says he made you in his likeness. Now let's look at another scripture here, Luke 20, 20 through 26. By the way, there are Bibles in front of you. If you want to read out of a paper Bible, great if you want to do that. Also, if you don't have a Bible at home, take one of those home with you. Those are our gift to you. It is very important to us that you have the scripture in your home, so please take one home if you need a Bible at home. That's yours. You do not owe us anything for it. All right. It says, so they watched him 
and sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Then they asked him saying, teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly and do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Denarius is a coin. It was a day's wages, okay? Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people and they marveled at his answer and kept silent. Let's, let's look at what he's saying there. Let's go back to the iPad here. He says, remember we have this according to our likeness right here. Now, let's see, Luke 20, this is the 24 and 25. He says, show me Daenerys, whose likeness, I'm using the ESV version here because I like the way that it, that it does this. So if it's, it's gonna be different than your NKJV. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. So the Daenerys has Caesar's likeness, right? And he says, what? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So Caesar's likeness is Caesar's stuff. It will. He'll get it fixed in a minute here. Right? There it is. Nope. All right. I don't need it. I'm slow too, but I'm still up here. All right. Don't worry about it. Listen. Listen. Caesar's likeness, Caesar's stuff. If it's got Caesar's likeness, give it to Caesar. It's his stuff. But then what does he say? Give to God the things that are God's. Where's God's likeness? On you. You have the likeness of God. Can we not get back to just the regular background? There we go. Yeah, that's fine. Just leave that there. You have God's likeness. So where do you render yourself? To God. Jesus is making something very clear here. You render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. This has got his likeness on it. There it is right on it. Whose, whose likeness is imprinted on you? Not Caesar's, God's. And so you are God. You have to understand who you belong to. This is one of those things that Dr. David brought up with me some years back, and I was like, yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. You are God's. You have his likeness. We've been in a series called Controversy, as you know, the tough passages of the Bible. And one of the ones we haven't dealt with is what I call the primary passage, okay? The primary passage, the first, the toughest passage, a passage that has to be true if any of the Bible is true. If any of the Bible is true, this passage has to be true. If it's not true, then there is nothing, nothing that can be known to be true at all. This is important that you understand this. It's not just that the Bible's not true if this isn't true. Nothing that you know can be true, and I'll show you why that is. But this passage is the first one, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen. This question is primary. It comes before. It comes before anything else in the scripture. It comes before anything else that you think about. It is a first thing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If it's not true, then everything that comes after it is not true either. The entire worldview of a Christ follower, 
depends on this primary, fundamental, foundational question. In fact, what you'll see is that the primary worldview that most people live by actually depends on this being true. Even those who reject this being true actually live like it is. Is there a God? Did he create the heavens and the earth? Is there a ruler and a king of the universe? We know that there have been those who deny the existence of God. In fact, people in the United States are trending in that direction, trending down in their belief in God. Here's what Gallup said. This is news.gallup.com. Most recently, Gallup found 81% of Americans expressing belief when asked the simple question, do you believe in God? Now, 81%, that seems pretty high. But the high mark for Gallup's polling was in the 50s and 60s when the percentage was 98%. It was 92% as recently as 2011. Okay, 2011, for those of us who are older, that doesn't seem like very long ago, right? That was just a few years back. It was at 92%. It is now down to 81%. So we went from 98% to 92% in like 60 years. And then we went from 92% to 81% in a few years, a decade, basically. So there's a drop-off trend on belief in God. It's 81%, which means if the polling is accurate, and it's an accurate rep representation of the U.S. population, that about one out of every five people you meet would now say they do not believe in God. That's a lot of people. This does not necessarily mean they're all atheists, in the sense that you would think, normally think about that group, atheists. That atheists tend to be a little different. Some of these people are just, they'd be like, I'm spiritual, but I don't really believe in God, or they've got some sort of Eastern... <laughs> thing going on. Buddhism, traditional Buddhism is atheistic. They don't believe that there's a God. They believe that you're trying to get basically to nothingness. Um, and so, although there are forms of Buddhism that have added in gods and so on, but, but there's, there are people who are not necessarily pure atheists that would say they don't believe in God. But <laughs> the problem is, is that if they don't believe in God in the Genesis 1-1 kind of way, they don't believe in God in three persons, one God, three persons who created the heavens and the earth, then they're broken either way. There's others who believe in God who say, oh, I believe in God, but they have some different idea or conception of what God is or who he is. You know, they may be from a different religion. They may be from a religion. They may be Hindus. They may believe that there's thousands, millions of gods. They may be Islam, not Muslims. They may believe that Allah is God. They may be Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses who believe in a very different conception of who Jesus Christ is. All those kinds of things that could be where they are. And therefore, we have a controversy here in the first, the first verse of the Bible. Because when we say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, we're talking very specifically about the God of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He must be all of these things. That's who we believe he is. So the controversy is twofold. It's a controversy over whether God actually exists, and created the heavens and the earth. That's what I'm going to call the primary controversy. And the controversy over what the existence of God means for us. What we will call the moral controversy. Because both of these things are tied together. Your whole conception of the universe is tied to these two things. Both in what you believe exists and is. What reality is. And what you believe you ought to do. And you, how you ought to live. What purpose you have and so on. So. Let's take a drink of coffee, get yourself ready to think here. Let's start with the primary controversy. Does God exist and did he create the heavens and the earth? 
Look, for this one, we don't need to spend excessive time, honestly. Um, we have a number of series we have done in the past on apologetics, which is the defense of the Christian faith, defense of Christianity. Um, we call them our skeptic series. You can go online, go to YouTube, go to our website, go to our app. We've got this stuff in lots of places. We've got several series, what we've called Skeptics Forum or Seeking Skeptics or whatever, and they've got multiple uh, sermons or messages in there where we talk about the arguments for the existence of God and so on. Those things are there, so you can go check those out. We don't need to spend a lot of time on that. There are several solid, compelling arguments for the existence of God. A reasonable person is justified in believing in the existence of God, period, okay? In fact, I would say, along with the revelation of God in nature and in scripture, beyond just these philosophical and theological arguments, I believe that there is no good justification for not believing in God. That people who say to you, I don't believe in God, actually don't, are not justified by logic and reason. Logic and reason dictate the other way, that there is in fact a God. That there must be a God. I'm going to give you a simple argument that people such as Aristotle, St. Thomas Aquinas, and Dr. William Lane Craig have used versions of. They're kind of famous for this argument. Then I'm going to show you from Scripture what God thinks of this controversy. Okay? The argument I'm going to talk about is called the unmoved mover or the cosmological argument, or in Dr. William Lane Craig's rendition of it, the Kalam cosmological argument. Here's the argument. This is the Kalam cosmological argument. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Makes sense, right? Everybody, everybody can agree that physics, science, reason, everything dictates that if something begins to exist, something caused it. If it has a beginning, it has a cause. Okay, that's just, we know that to be true. If you're like, I don't know if that's true, you're wrong. That's true. We know it's true. We, we, we know for a fact it's true, okay? Next one is the universe began to exist. Then the, the, the therefore is, therefore the universe has a cause. Now, it's a pretty obvious argument. I think most of you probably came up with this when you were a kid, riding your bike around on the street with no helmet and no knee pads and no be home, you know, don't go more than five feet from the house and the stuff that I had to do with my kids. I was just gone, by the way. My parents did not care about me. I was just out of it. <laughs> But we're out there, you're thinking, and you think, yeah, obviously it can't go back forever. Somewhere there has to be a cause, right? A mover that wasn't moved himself. An uncaused cause of everything else. That has to happen. It can't just go back infinitely. That doesn't make any sense. Something had to start everything, so there must be that. Now, there was a time when people would argue against this argument because they believed or they postulated that the universe itself was actually eternal. So we don't have to have this unmoved mover or this first cause because the universe itself is eternal. The problem is, is that through science, we have found out now, without question, the universe is not eternal. It definitely had a beginning. Go figure. I found that somewhere that it had a beginning, right? And so... It definitely had a beginning. In fact, there are ways in which it's winding down. Uh, we know for a fact that it's expanding in a certain way. We, have, we know that the universe had a beginning. Therefore, the universe had to have a cause. Therefore, this argument is pretty much bulletproof. I'm bringing it up because it's just the most simple and obvious argument. Most people can understand this um, pretty easily. We cannot go back infinitely. There must have been a cause, right? And then, well, then what caused God? God's the one exception. Something has to be, right? And the only thing that could be the exception has to be God. Nothing else could have caused all the rest of the stuff we see, right? There is no other cause that could have been there besides an all-powerful God, personal God. It has to be. The other things that exist that we see 
we go back and we know we have to have God with the attributes he has, all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing. Has to be. Those are things that have to be. So, uh, I encourage you to read up on this if you want. Cosmological argument, obvious proof for the existence of God. Uh, there are other very good arguments as, as well. Like I say, read up or watch the skeptic series. But the question I really want to ask today is, what does God have to say about this controversy? What does God have to say about those who reject the idea that he exists? What's his take on this? Well, it's not great for those people. Let's start in Psalm. Psalm 14, 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Who said in their heart? The fool. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. Now, I will tell you that once you reject God, you are going to do corrupt, abominable works. There's none who does good. In fact, all of us have done corrupt, abominable works and are only saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. It's only when we recognize God and who he is that we actually can find the grace and salvation for the sins that we have done. God says that those who say in their heart there is no God are fools. Why, why would he call them fools? Can't they just be honestly mistaken? This is a question I think some people will ask. Can I just be honestly mistaken? Like, I really do believe this. I've really come to this conclusion. How can God call me a fool? I've really tried hard, and I think I'm very smart. And, and I get that. I understand people say that. But God says they cannot be honestly mistaken. He says they are fools. And we get a good explanation of why that is in Romans chapter 1. So let's look at that. Romans 1, 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. This is, this is the progression. This is what happens. There are no honest mistakes here. What happens is, is that God shows everyone that he exists. Everyone can do the math that we just did about that God must exist. Everyone can see the world and know that it was not an accident. You can look at your hand and be like, yeah, that's not, that's not an accident. It's not an accident. Like that doesn't, you know, my wife was talking about this little flap. I don't know what this is called that goes over your ear right here. And I'm like, yeah, evolution. Yeah, I, I don't think so. There's no accidents here. We're very well designed. We may mess that up, but we're very well designed. We know that there's a God. We know that he's created us. He has shown it to us. What we mean known of God is manifest or evident in them. It's evidence in us. He's revealed it to us, both through nature and now. You all have the opportunity to see it through his scripture as well. He has shown it to you. So there's no honest mistakes here. There's only what he calls suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. That's what he says. You have to ask yourself the question, how did so many people 
which is to say basically everyone, believe in God hundreds of years ago when life was so much more painful and difficult than it is now. There was no air conditioning, and they believed in God, a good God, okay? I mean, there's people who live in really hot places. I mean, it was just like 70-something yesterday. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to die. It's outside working. I'm like, I got to go inside. I don't want to work anymore. Why would so many people believe in God? Because he's made it clear to them. This is what C.S. Lewis writes. He says, lay down this book. This is the book, The Problem of Pain. Lay down this book and reflect for five minutes on the fact that all the great religions were first preached and long practiced in a world without chloroform. In other words, no anesthetic. When you got hurt, you dealt with it. Bite this bullet, right? Throw some dirt in it. Like my bone is hanging out. Just rub some dirt in it. You're going to be fine. They weren't fine. They just cut your leg off. And no anesthetic. They just cut it off, okay? Civil war is rough. It's rough. People believe in God. Have you ever had your wisdom teeth? Who's had their wisdom teeth out? Okay, just imagine that with no anesthetic. Okay, when I did it, the guy was like, I don't know what he was using. I think he went out to the garage to get the tools for this. It wasn't like normal stuff. And he's just in there. He's got his knee on me. He's like, oh, yeah, and there's blood. My blood's just all going onto him. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I, because it kept me awake. Like a lot of you could probably got put to sleep. They didn't do that. I didn't have good insurance. I was kept awake. It was horrible. So now imagine I didn't have the Novocaine in. I don't know that I'd be like, there's such a good God. I don't know that would be my first thought, right? The reason they believed that there was a good God is because God revealed it to them. He revealed to them that the reason all that pain and difficulty is there because of their own sin, they understood that. We understand that inherently. It doesn't take long or much maturity to understand that the reason the world is bad is because of me and you and their own sin. It's not God who caused that. It's not God who caused that. He has no brokenness. Our brokenness is because of us. In fact, it's only in him that we have any hope at all for healing from our brokenness. And most people, for all time, have perceived that, at least at some level of understanding. It's not that they didn't know it. It's not that people don't know that God exists. It's that they know it and they suppressed it. They pushed that knowledge away. And God says that when they did that, they became fools. That one in five people, if you run into them and they say, I bet that number is higher in the Northwest, I would just bet. When I lived in Tennessee, I don't think it was as high as it is here, but who knows? Either way, God says, these are people who are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and becoming fools. They're becoming fools. And it's because of that foolishness, because of them suppressing the truth of God, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. That wrath isn't for you if you're a Christ follower. That wrath is for those who refuse and reject and suppress and push down the knowledge of God. It's not for people who are honestly mistaken. You think God's wrathful for people who are making honest mistakes? Does that sound like God? No. God's wrath is coming because they're doing this in unrighteousness. They're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. That's what God says. If you do not believe in God, and I don't just mean generally God. I mean the God of the Bible, the God who says here that in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is not because you're honestly mistaken. Just hear me on this. Open your mind up for a second and, and your heart and listen. If you believe that there's no God or you struggle with that, 
the, the reason that, you're, that you don't believe it is because you're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Because you know it. He's shown it to you. It's not an honest mistake. Certainly isn't that you're right in your belief that there's no God. You believe it because you have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. That's the facts. You can object, you can argue with me, but you're wrong. Not because I'm right, but because God's right. Because God's right. But if you are honest, and you're seeking the truth, whether you're online, whether you watch this later, whether you're in this room today, ask the Holy Spirit, ask God the Holy Spirit to reveal this to you. All you need to know will be taught by him to you. It is unrighteousness, not honest mistakes, that make atheists. It is unrighteousness, not honest mistakes, that make unbelievers in general. It's sinfulness. Like I say, you can scoff at it, and you can scoff at God. You can think you're too smart for him, but you're not scoffing at me. You're scoffing at God. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just telling you this stuff because this is what the scripture says and what is proven to be true. I tell you this because I love you. Because I too was lost and now am found. I too was blind, but now I see. But listen, I wasn't blind because there was nothing to see or because I was naturally blind. I was blind because I closed my eyes in unrighteousness so that I did not have to face God so I could continue to do the things I wanted to do. That was what caused my blindness. That was it. When he opened my eyes, when I experienced that peace that surpasses all understanding, then I got it. But not before. Before it was just pain and terror and pride and selfishness leading to despair. We have a world right now, and I want you to consider this, that is constantly in every way pushing, particularly to children, to young people, the idea that they are just a body, that there is no God, that there is no truth, that you can be and identify however you want to. And I'm not just talking about the transgender issue that exists out there. I'm just talking about in general. They are constantly told in every conceivable way that there is no God, so that they have nowhere to hang their purpose or their morality, and they are in despair. And they are killing themselves and cutting themselves, and being checked into hospitals all the time. If you have time, we have actually a bunch of teachers in this, in this uh, church. Find yourself a teacher who teaches junior high and high school age kids and ask them how much of this they see and be ready to be shocked. Be ready to get your prayer life going because these young people are in despair because we are actually suppressing it to them. We're trying to get them to suppress it. Why? So that we can justify our own vileness. I want you to think about that. The reason that we're pushing it on the young to try to indoctrinate them into a worldview that rejects God, a foolish worldview, is so that we can feel better about the nonsense that we're doing. And I'm speaking we as a culture, as a society. That's what's going on. It's a conspiracy to sin. And we're trying to get the young to conspire and we're causing them and forcing them into despair because no young person should be told that they're an animal and a body. I can't tell you how many people, particularly women, that have had to be counseled out of that mindset because of the way that men have treated them their whole lives. And now we're just telling all of them. 
This is very serious stuff. If you do not get controversy one right, the primary controversy, you have nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go from there. If God doesn't exist, you're, 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 you're screwed. I couldn't think of another word. You're screwed. That's the one. If God did not create the world, you literally have no reason to believe anything. And you have no reason to believe that you are right in thinking anything, including in thinking that God did not create the world. Let me tell you why. Because if God didn't create the world, everything is a random accident of space and time and stuff. That's it. If you listen to some physicists and scientists who reject God, they'll talk like that. All there is and all there ever was and all there is the space and the time and the stuff and the stuff and the space and the time. And you're like, okay. I don't know how that made me, but let's assume it did. If it did, then I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And the atoms of my brain that happen to be touching each other around in a particular way to create thoughts cannot be trusted to actually make good thoughts. They're random accidents. And therefore, anything you think, you only think because there's stuff and space and time moving around. Not because you're smart or you can reason, but because you were obviously going to think that because you have no control over anything. You have no will. You have no you. You're just a meat sack if they're right. You're just nothing. You're just a body. There's no reason to believe that your thoughts correspond to any reality if God did not create the heavens and the earth in the beginning. Even Darwin understood this. Listen to this quote by Charles Darwin. But then with me, I'm going to try to do kind of an English accent thing because he was British. I'm not really. But then with me, the horrid doubt always arises. Whether the convictions of a man's mind, which has been developed from the mind of the lower animals, are of any value at all or at all trustworthy. Would anyone trust the convictions of a monkey's mind if there are any convictions in such a mind? Easy answer, no. I've seen them poop in their hands and throw it at people. I trust nothing that they think. Okay? So if you just came from that, you're basically just that with a cleaner shirt. That's what Darwin is. Okay? You got to understand something. If they're right... The materialists, the God-haters, the God-rejecters. If they're right, then you could never know that they were right. Because thinking they're right is just something that you were going to think naturally because determinism or the fact that you have no control over everything would definitely be true if they're right about God. There's just stuff banging against stuff, banging against stuff, and stuff is happening. And you may experience something that you think is thought, but it's not really that. So it's hopeless and stupid. Follow me here. If there is no God, then you are a random event with no meaning and no purpose. You need to understand that. And you would never even know that. Because, of course, your thoughts are meaningless. Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes on the topic. This is a good one. Supposing there was no intelligence behind the universe, no creative mind. In that case, nobody designed my brain for the purpose of thinking. It is merely that when the atoms inside my skull happen for physical or chemical reasons to arrange themselves in a certain way, this gives me, as a byproduct, the sensation I call thought. But if so, how can I trust my thinking to be true? But if I can't trust my own thinking, of course, I can't trust the arguments leading to atheism, and therefore I have no reason to be an atheist or anything else. Unless I believe in God, I cannot believe in thought, so I can never use thought to disbelieve in God. 
People who reject God often claim that they do so for mature and intelligent reasons, like objective reasoning and science. And I love science, by the way, but not science, right? <laughs> not the religion of science, not scientism. God calls it foolishness. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 21. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile, worthless, useless. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. And he goes on to tell Christians what their inheritance is. All things are yours. But don't be stupid. Don't be foolish. Don't deceive yourself. What happens when you suppress the truth and unrighteousness? You deceive yourself. Deceiving yourself is not an honest mistake. It's an active thing. You are deceiving yourself. You literally are walking around lying to yourself constantly. He's not even talking about the deception of Satan or something. He's saying we human beings are deceiving ourselves and coming up with a false wisdom for the world. And the world has this false wisdom. And what do they say? What do they say? They say wisdom is believing there is no God. Wisdom is believing that we know everything. We can do whatever we want. That's what wisdom is. And what does God call that? Foolishness. The world's wisdom, God calls foolishness. And then God says, I am the glorious king who loves you, who made you, who created the heavens and the earth, who engineered you, who made you in my image and likeness, who knows how you should act. And they say, that's foolishness. God's wisdom is their foolishness. Their wisdom is God's foolishness. Now you can choose for yourself which way you want to go with the materialists, the scientists, who not only suppress the truth and are righteous, but often suppress the truth to you. You ever watch the news? They lie to themselves, they lie to you, they lie to everyone. Why wouldn't they lie? If there is no God, there is no morality. You can trust them, or you can trust the one who rose from the dead. Those are your choices. Those are your choices. You can deceive yourself. It's not an honest mistake. It's suppressing the truth and righteousness, deceiving yourself. Or you can trust in the wisdom of God, the one who defeated sin and the flesh and the devil and hell and all of that. He proved he was right because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that was proven, by the way, by many infallible proofs. You know that mature, thoughtful stuff? Yeah, that's what the scripture's all about. The historical resurrection, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts 1, 1 through 3. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible, unmistakable proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I trust the God who became a man and rose from the dead. I do not trust those who are actively deceiving themselves and suppressing the truth. It seems like an easy call to me. Here's the thing. You can't know anything or move any further toward truth if you get the first controversy wrong. Everything else that you believe follows from how you answer this first question. Everything else that you believe follows from how you answer this first question. Z doesn't happen without A, right? 
Z doesn't happen without A. If you don't believe in A, you're going to get no further. You're not going to get to Z. You're not even going to get to B. Once you reject A, there's nothing for you to be thinking about. We can't even talk about controversy two, the moral controversy, which we will save for next week, without solving controversy one, the primary controversy. You have to decide whether God is and whether he created the heavens and the earth before you ever get to how you should live, to whether you have purpose, before you ever get to thought and reason and love and justice and friendship and romance and adventure and the glory of God and eternal life. Those concepts are meaningless, meaningless. All of them are meaningless if God did not create the heavens and the earth. You get nothing but meaningless accidents that you call thoughts and meaningless interactions with other humans who are random, purposeless people if there is no God. And you know that isn't true. You know that isn't true. You don't live like that's true. You wouldn't want to live like that's true. And if you have friends who struggle with or deny the existence of God, make sure they understand that. That's not how they want to live. They don't want to live like they're purposeless and everyone they know is purposeless and that love that they think they have is actually a meaningless word that we make up to describe chemical feelings that happen inside our animal bodies. Nobody wants to live like that. You want meaning and hope and purpose and good works to do. You want to use your giftings. You want to help others to love and be loved. But you get none of that without the loving, perfect God who created you. Yet none of that without God who loved you so much, even though you were a rebel and a sinner who deceived yourself and suppressed the truth. Romans 5a, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were still a sinner. A God who loved you so much that he came to earth, the earth that he created, to be with the people that he created to love them, to live without sin. The God who gave up his life, sacrificed himself on a Roman cross, to pay the price for your sins. The God who rose from the dead, defeating death and hell and the devil. The God who promises eternal life, eternal life with him and no more suffering. It's easy. Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's easy to find him. And his burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I can tell you that it's true. I've been able to deal with much more significant world-shattering things the more that I've grown closer to Christ. Amen. The world is rough. Persecution is there for the Christ follower. This is a sinful world, and yet, if you will be with him, give him your burdens, take his yoke upon you, the yoke like the oxen have, right, two of them. One is on him, one is on you. Who do you think is pulling the weight? It's true. It's all true. It's not a myth. It's not a legend. It's all true. He is here for you. If you've been suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, stop. Stop fighting the Lord. You cannot win. Trust me. I've tried. He is your creator. You were made in his image and likeness, and you were made for good works. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So die to all that nonsense, all that God doesn't exist stuff. Pick up your cross and follow him. For he tells us, right? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Death to yourself means life in him. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the God that in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth knowing at all times that he would create you and that by creating you, he would have to die for you. And he did it anyway. And he did it anyway. God didn't just create the heavens and the earth. He created you. If you did not understand that, you do now. Accept him as your Savior and your, and your Lord. If you do already follow Jesus Christ, please listen. Recognize that there are people in your life who need to know this and tell them. Tell them because the time is growing short and you don't know that you have another day Heard about a number of deaths that just happened recently. People that I know, people that have been in their lives. It happens. We're not promised anything in terms of that, but we are promised eternal life, and we should want others to have that. Recognize that there are people in your life who need to know the gospel. Preach the gospel. Make disciples for Jesus Christ. Go therefore, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen.